It's time now for the PDXO WASP podcast, brought to you by the Open Web Application Security Project. The views of the guests do not necessarily represent the views of OWASP, their sponsors, and other stakeholders. Enjoy the show. Our special guest today is Arti Gadia. She's a highly successful cybersecurity professional who has worked in various leadership roles in sales and marketing for well-known companies such as Bugcrowd, Carbon Black, Trend Micro, and Sophos. Arti is also the founder of Stand Out to Lead, and she sharing her empowerment. Arti is passionate about bridging the diversity gap in STEM and in leadership. She recently presented at our OWASP AppSec Pacific Northwest Conference on the topic of women in AppSec, advice to differentiate your skills. As a podcast bonus today, you will learn about how a childhood lesson in making roti with her mother helped shape Arti to become the strong leader she is today. We want to say thank you to BugCrowd for being one of our sponsors for the inaugural OWASP Pacific Northwest Application Security Conference 2021. Artie, thank you so much for joining with us today on this wonderful summer, sunny day. It's sunny where you're at, right? It is beautiful here in Vancouver. We're probably over 25, 26 degrees this week. You have a very interesting background. Tell us about your odyssey in life from the start. And how did you ultimately end up in cybersecurity? Absolutely. So a little bit of background for me. I always like to say Jambo. So most people will know I'm from Kenya when I say Jambo, which is a greeting in Kenya. Uh, born and raised there. And I moved to the UK uh, to actually gra- you know, study financial economics. So um, and then in 2004 is when I moved here to Canada because my husband and I, we got married and I looked at the map, the Canadian map, and we picked Vancouver. And that's how we packed everything and came over here. But uh, to your question uh, in terms of how I got into cybersecurity is in the UK, my background was actually financial economics. And if you asked me 25 years ago what I wanted to be, my answer would have been a stockbroker. And I remember uh, when I moved here to Canada, I was struggling to get a job. I just couldn't get any job and um, applied for several different um, positions, uh, took a step back in my career because I was working in the UK. Um, And it was all about, you don't have Canadian experience, which till today, I still don't know what that means. (laughs) Um, But if someone does, I'd like to hear what that is. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what I learned though, which is very different from UK compared to here, is the power of networking. So I started reaching out to a recruitment agencies and and I connected with somebody. She was actually also from the UK and she informed me about the sales position, uh, which is an antivirus uh, for an mm. antivirus company back then in 2004 or 2005, actually. And, you know, like I said, for me, I just needed a job. I didn't care what job it was, what industry was. I needed to pay those bills as a new immigrant. And uh, my only connection with cybersecurity was actually in university when I was studying in Wales was I had a project and this was, I think, in 99. I had this project in 2000 and I had this project and I'd saved all my work on this. Remember those square floppy disks? Mm, Yes, Yes. I do. (laughs) (laughs) So I had my whole project saved on that and... uh, At that time, you know, um, going to the library and getting the project typed in and things like that, uh, a couple of the machines in the library got infected and therefore I lost 
um, my work that I'd done that I'd saved onto that floppy disk. So I remember going to our professor and plenty, many of us did the same thing. We went to our professor and asked for an extension. To be honest, I'm glad I got that. I mean, I'm glad that had happened because I didn't, I knew I was running out of time to complete this project. So I, I didn't know what it was going to look like at the end because I had very little time to finish it. So that's how I remember, you know, like cybersecurity. And at that time, I knew this was going to be a scary problem with losing um, all the information I put onto that floppy disk. And so when I had an interview with uh, the recruiter and she said, well, it's about antivirus. Um, what do you know? And I'm like, I do remember my time at that time. And definitely an industry to be um, associated or working with so that just knowing that there is an issue out there and being on the good side is exciting. It is. Uh, And I think this is a first for us on this podcast. You work in sales and marketing in cybersecurity Mm -hmm. and you've been really successful at it. And usually we get people, you know, they're looking to break into it. So that's for us kind of a first. We had a lawyer on previously, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. But can you describe a bit about your day-to-day activities in this domain and what are the characteristics needed to make someone successful at cybersecurity that may differ from other, say, sales and marketing roles? Yeah, the, the key thing is uh, that I always uh, mention to everyone is, you know, we've got two years, one mouth. And listening is so important. Understanding the problem is really important and having that curiosity mindset uh, is really important in not only just my role, but even in cybersecurity. It's a great soft skill to have is listen, understand, and be curious the whole time. We all know in cybersecurity, every day is a new day. I keep hearing this from CISOs and from um, you know individuals within cybersecurity of how they're busy and new attacks are out there, new tools are out there. And the complexities and the limited resources they are out there. And then on the other side, you hear, you know, industry talks about the shortage, which I have a different opinion there. But the key thing in my role, uh, particularly in sales, is just, just about understanding the problem and how we can help customers uh, solve that problem. Artie, question about some of the skills you've said are, are most critical uh, there's a video out, I think it's on maybe LinkedIn, on roti and what your mom and grandma taught you when you were 10 years old on on how to make uh, a roti, I think in under two minutes. Yes. Um, and you mentioned perfection and multitasking. Can you talk about that? Yes, absolutely. The other soft skills, is, uh, you picked on to that one, is just every day. Like soft skills are like life skills, right? And it's whatever you're learning um, as you're you know, outside of work that you can apply into the into your everyday. So for example, like in making roti, the big one there is, I remember my mom was always very keen on making sure I could make this roti within one minute, because in Kenya, you can't waste gas, right? So it was those soft skills that I learned as a result, which was back to uh, accuracy, which we're using every day in, at work, uh, back to time management, back to multitasking in order to make a roti and make sure you're not wasting gas, right? You have to make sure you're rolling the roti, putting it on the gas, um, making sure the next one's ready to put the next one on so you're not wasting gas. Same thing, it applies into the workplace, which is um, 
we're doing so many different jobs. I mean, I keep hearing everyone's like, I'm doing this today, tomorrow is a different day. And you have to have that skill of multitasking or making sure that you're able to be effective um, in whatever the finishing task or the end line is going to be, right? So I want to add to that. So I grew up in a bakery as well, and mm-hmm. I was so bad at it. I mean, we, we literally lived in the bakery building as a kid, and I was so bad at it, but all the kids had to to make, right? I had to make donuts, and I still have an adversity for donuts today. So anyway, because you have to get up three in the morning and do all of that. <laughs> but one, one lesson here, and, and I'm really nice to hear this too, is that Although we had a recipe, my, my father never, he had a recipe, but he, it was all in his head. And every morning I would go in there and this was in North Dakota. So in the, in the, uh, in the winter it was cold back there and the summer was very hot. So the environment was always different. And I'd always follow that recipe, the rules, if you will, to mm-hmm. the, to the letter. And it was never consistent. And sometimes it failed where my father understood the environment if that makes sense. If it's mm-hmm. too hot, less yeast or, or something of that nature. It sounds like there are some lessons learned here and something completely different. And especially when, as, you, as you're describing, you know, making roti, I imagine you're, you're thinking that that's your thought process there as you're making it, how this affects your other parts of your life too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Back to your process right now, when I moved to Canada, even the flour was different. So you then have to make adjustments just like in life, right? Or in the workplace, you have to make adjustments because sometimes certain things may not always be the same and you'll have to adjust and learn to adapt, uh, be flexible, change things up and see what the impact's going to be. I can tell you, I bought so many different brands of flour. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the fun part too, right? Cutting, at least. What is, so, what is the best flour for making roti? And and do you have a recipe somewhere? Because I'm I haven't had roti in a while. Yeah, you know the key to that is um, lately I've just done a, a different one, uh, whereby um, now my husband has diabetes, and so we were trying to find something that is they usually say roti, no, no for diabetes. Uh, so we've actually been experimenting with uh, millet flour um, and, of course, uh, sprouted wheat flour. So we're experimenting a little bit with changing things up, but it's back to it's not just the flour. It's how you roll it. And then it's also what heat it is. And then it's also how much water you put it in the dough, right? There's so many different variants there um, that we've been experimenting um, over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to have to find find a way to put roti and, le- and security in the title of this podcast, by the way, Some, <laughs> somehow. It's, it's lunchtime. I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you have a passion about bridging the diversity gap in STEM and in leadership, and you are doing real work about it. You founded two things, Stand Out to Lead and also She, Sharing Her Empowerment. Can you describe both of those initiatives? Absolutely. So she, to start off with, she stands for sharing her empowerment. And this was founded in 2018 when I was working at Carbon Black. And the idea is to be a collective voice and influence a change within the organization. The impact of she, um, when I joined Bug Crowd, I started the second chapter as well. And Bug Crowd, the idea is to be different. Um, It's not just a group where we get together and have fireside chats only and um, have forums and things like that. The idea for she is to actually make a change, 
within the organization and bring visibility. So for example, at Bug Crowd, this led to a 50% increase in hires identified as women as a result of the work that we've been doing uh, at, since we formed She here at Bug Crowd. But just, just to highlight the story, how this started up was back in uh, 2018, my own personal story was I was trying to, I, I was working with my mentor. I was struggling to get into leadership uh, position. Uh, I was rejected by an opportunity, which is a nice, uh, which was a leadership position. And uh, I asked my mentor, I need some help. Uh, where am I going wrong? Help me understand what I can do, right? Because every time I keep getting the same rejection is you don't have experience where you're not the, the, you know, you don't have the experience we're looking for. And I'm like, but I do have leadership experience, right? What do we need to do? And so one of the uh, advice he gave me is go outside your swim lane and be a bit more visible. So I sat and I thought about that. And I said, okay, I'm going to make this ask. And I'm, there was this conference that we had, a sales kickoff conference that we had. And I said, well, I'm going to be on stage and I want to speak at that conference. Um, can you help me get an opportunity to be on stage for whatever time frame? These are some of the topics I'd like to talk about. I mean, he did try and introduce me to a few of the other speakers, but they all said, no, thanks. We've already got our... Uh, talks in a planned out. And in the end, I decided, you know what, forget this, I'm going to create my own opportunity. Um, and so what I did ask is that I felt like there was importance in bringing awareness uh, to within the organization of the importance of diversity in the workplace. And the idea was to have women within that organization um, to be on stage and open panel of of what, what is diversity? What does it mean? What could we do? How could we change? Uh, what are the things we'd like to see from the organization? It was just going to be an open forum, open chat. And I remember going to our chief people officer and uh, I pitched that idea. This time I, I wanted to try something different compared to getting the constant rejection. I went to her. She loved the idea. She then went to someone on the steering committee and she loved the idea. So she had to pitch. This time it wasn't me pitching. And when she pitched it to the steering committee, she came back and she said, okay, I don't have a session that we can add on the agenda, but over lunchtime, grassroots efforts, um, you can have this. Um, we'll have a room of 40 people that can attend um, and feel free to do whatever you'd like in that room. I was excited because it wasn't a rejection. It wasn't what I wanted, which was on the agenda of the conference. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I'll take something, better something than nothing. And what happened was I sent it out to 100 individuals and we already had 70, and this was on Boxing Day, on the 26th of December, I sent out that email. And within five minutes, the spreadsheet, the sign-up spreadsheet, because I put in there, only 40 can attend, and the, top, the first 40 to register uh, would be able to attend. And within five minutes, that Excel spreadsheet was lighting up like a Christmas tree. Wow. All the steering committee were like, well, two or three of the steering committee were on that um, um, Google Drive. So they could see the activity. And all the questions I got from individuals saying, hey, I'd like to attend. I'm number 41. I'm number 70. I sent all those emails to the steering committee and I said, what would you like to do? And it was, I was amazed because they changed the room to 100 people. 
They even brought in lunch so we didn't have to get out and get lunch. So we had the full Mm -hmm. hour. And that's when I realized the power of a collective voice. And that's what made me realize, well, let's start up She because even though we're only 20%, there is a power in that collective voice. And that's where our mission, uh, which I'll read out uh, for She, which is we, the members of She, are planting a seed. We believe that 20% just isn't good enough. We believe we can all do better. We will use our voices collectively to initiate change, grow our careers, and elevate each other. And we stand by each other, and our mission is to make this a better place for everyone. So that's that's a little bit about she. And the next part I know I wanted to talk a little bit about was stand out to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar story. Uh, you remember going to someone in the industry who I respected highly, and I was interested to get on to a corporate board. And I was told the exact same thing. Well, you need more experience. And um, it kind of made me sit and think, what is this need more experience? So I started my journey. I started asking a lot of other women in cybersecurity, are any of you interested? And what I noticed is there was a lack of um, education and the image of getting onto a board from many individuals that I spoke to was, it's something you do when you retire. And I felt, mm. well, that's not what it should be because there's a lot that, you know, individuals, doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what experience you have, that you can contribute towards organizations. And that's what made me start up uh, Stand Out to Lead because I felt that there was a gap. And secondly, I mean, there were organizations that could place you, but they weren't enough um, organizations that were actually educating or getting individuals to think about their board journey, you don't, it's not something you should think about when you are ready to retire. Yeah. And the, and the world changes so fast. The, you know, the idea of only being on boards when you're retired, you're, you're not going to know what's going on after a few years because things change so quickly these days. Exactly. And that's what I was saying is that, especially right now with, uh, with COVID and, the next generation, um, how they're thinking. And if, if you're still, if you don't have a board that has a diverse uh, group, and when I say diverse, I mean, it, it shouldn't be limited to experience. It should be open to, um, you know, that diversity of thought. And that's kind of why I started Stand Out to Lead. And in the end, I did. Uh, just recently, um, I was appointed uh, to be a board member for Observe ID. But I was I started Stand Out to Lead not for me to find an opportunity, but to create awareness for individuals to start thinking about it, and also to um, to inspire more women in cybersecurity to join corporate boards, but also to change what that look of board uh, recruitment should look like. So Artie, do you have anything upcoming to promote or any events that you'd like people to know about? Yeah, so the um, next one, I think for uh, women in cybersecurity or even just generally, there are a couple of events, um, I would say, just here in Canada. There's B-Sides, of course, you know, please feel free to join your local B-Sides chapter. There's OASP uh, chapters. Um, The one I belong to is Vancouver. We have events once a month. And then there's the other one, which is the Diana Initiative, 
And that conference is going to be taking place July 16th, I believe. There are phenomenal speakers, um, great sessions, great topics. I saw a, a preview of all the different uh, talks. I think their website is also live. But I highly recommend to viewers to attend some of these uh, talks and sessions. One of the sessions that I'm doing at the Diana Initiative is building your personal brand. And that's where I talk a little bit about the importance of building your brand that that leads to opportunities and helps you as you uh, build your career within this industry. So we have so much more to talk about because of time of our schedules. Would you be willing to come back in the future, especially maybe after the talk? I think a lot of folks would like to know more about this topic and others too. Absolutely. I'd love to come back. Well, thank you so much for joining with us today, Artie. It's been a real, real pleasure. My pleasure. I enjoyed this very much. To hear this podcast again, visit anywhere a podcast is played. For more information, go to owasp.org forward slash www forward slash chapter forward slash Portland.